25, the focus of Genesis at this point has shifted from Abraham to Isaac. That's already been happening, and we see uh, the real turning point here tonight. There's a pause to tell us here about the death of Abraham. And the point of this passage, this little short passage, is not to eulogize Abraham. It's not to lift him up. Uh, the point of this passage is really to marvel at the God of Abraham and his faithfulness. The Lord had brought Abraham this far. He had brought him through many dangers, toils, and snares, like the hymn says. He brought him all the way to uh, this point and this uh, 175th year of his life. More importantly, God brought his promise this far. God perpetuated his promise, the promise of a seed for Abraham. Uh, despite all kinds of troubles, despite all kinds of uh, problems with Abraham himself, uh, Abraham had been very foolish at times. He had been very faithless at times. He'd given his wife away a couple times because of his uh, fear. And uh, Satan has been at work to try to destroy the seed of the woman. And God was faithful through that all. And that's really the point of this passage tonight. God's faithfulness, his covenant faithfulness to his promise. And his promise was ultimately to bring our Savior into the world so that we can be friends of God like Abraham was. Well, Sarah's death uh, brought some big changes, no doubt, for Abraham and his family. At, at least it seemed to be the thing that motivated Abraham to go find a wife for Isaac, and he did that. And when she was found, once Rebecca um, was wed to Isaac, she became the new matriarch. And that surely brought about some changes, some good changes for the family. No doubt good, because she seems like a, a woman of such good character based on what we've seen so far. But then we see another change here. Abraham decided to remarry. Uh, and we don't know when this took place, whether it was uh, before or after Isaac's marriage. Uh, it's possible Keturah was uh, very, very likely, she was one of his concubines. Uh, she's mentioned here, singled out in this way. We're not really told all those details, but either way, he chose to remarry this woman, and uh, he lived on uh, 38 years after Sarah died. So uh, it's very possible that that entire time, 
or uh, much of it at least was lived married to uh, this new bride Keturah and uh, they had we see these uh, children together in verses 2 through 4 we learn about um, all these children's six sons Abraham had become the father of Isaac and of Ishmael before him and now all these others and so through them there are going to be even more descendants for Abraham Abraham certainly was as God promised uh, a father of many tribes and nations we see that here coming about through these uh, these other children that were born to him but this is God's faithfulness you see God promised these things and here he's delivering on that promise one of these sons though is Midian you remember the Midianites in uh, the history of Israel. They were not um, good guys in the Bible. They were some of the bad guys of the Old Testament. Uh, in Israel's history, they were definitely enemies. Uh, it's sad to think that they were relatives, and yet they were enemies of Israel. Remember, it was a, a Midianite woman that uh, that man brought into um, that Israelite man brought into his tent and Phineas uh, killed them and in the time of judges the judges the Midianites uh, of course uh, get a fair bit of ink in that uh, section where Gideon comes to the fore and the Lord delivered Israel from the Midianites through Gideon again these were Abraham's descendants very sad to see them rising up against God's people they were descendants and yet they were not part of the covenant line even so they're evidence of God's faithfulness right God promised to give Abraham many many descendants many tribes and nations this is God's blessing on Abraham God's faithfulness what a great testimony even these enemies of God's people were to God's promises it's a reminder to us that God's Word never fails and that should be an encouragement to us to trust in his word to trust in him he is faithful he keeps his promises so you can rely upon him he is utterly dependable trust in him with all your heart trust in his word and lean not on your own understanding in verses 5 and 6 we see uh, Abraham taking steps to provide for Isaac uh, we read that he gave all that he had to Isaac but to the sons of his concubines he gave gifts and while he was still living he sent them all away from Isaac to the east so Abraham's got this small army of children and yet to make Isaac's place secure he sends them all away 
Isaac was the one who was to be the heir. Isaac was the one who had a special place in God's plan. He's the one who would walk with God and would carry on the covenant line. And God told Abraham this. And so Abraham was resolved that it would be so. Isaac would be the heir and no others. He surely loved his other children and he gave them good things. He gave them gifts, we're told, but he left Isaac everything that he had. He was the heir. This is a beautiful picture of the great unearned, undeserved inheritance that God gives to his people in Christ. God gives us spiritual riches beyond our comprehension. We can't even fathom it. We certainly don't deserve any of it. Certainly not any more than the people around us who uh, don't believe in Christ. You know, the unbeliever enjoys many blessings from God as well. Blessings in this life, temporal blessings, similar to the way Abraham gave gifts to these other children. But we are like Isaac. We have spiritual blessings in Christ, every spiritual blessing for all eternity. Why is that? Why us and not others? Well, it is only because of God's choosing and his unearned favor to us. It is not at all because we are better than anyone else or because we chose God or we repented of our sin. No, it is God's sovereign grace that has led him to choose us to be heirs of eternal life. We would never trust in Christ, never repent of our sins, if it were not for that. He chose us before the foundation of the world. And then in the course of time, he calls us to faith. He justifies us. He sanctifies us. And he's, he's going to glorify us one day for all eternity. And we will praise him forever. We will praise him to the glory of his grace. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1 that it is all because of God's great love that he does this for us. And here again, we can't really say why does he love us. There is no reason in us. It is simply in him. It's who he is. He is a God of love, and he has chosen to set his love upon us. Apart from anything good in us, apart from anything lovely that would cause him to choose us, there's nothing like that. It's all because of his sovereign and free grace, his choice to set it upon us. He's a loving and gracious God, and he sets his love upon those he chooses. And if we believe in Christ, it is all because of his grace. Abraham sent these uh, other sons away, and he did this to no doubt make sure that there was no fighting, no squabbling over the inheritance. 
It's so sad to see that happen when someone dies. It's all too common. We see it in our day. I can't tell you how many times I've seen it in my own family. People fighting over this or that. Oh, I want that uh, shovel or whatever it might be. Oh, that, that's worth money, that thing. It's very sad to see those kind of squabbles. Well, Abraham took care of that by sending uh, these other sons away. He secured Isaac's place. He made sure there'd be no fighting over the inheritance. The others were provided for. They would not share in Isaac's inheritance as the heir. That sounds kind of unfair to us. In our day, we're used to um, people sharing things equally. Uh, Most people would expect the siblings to divide up an inheritance uh, fairly and equitably, but that's not how it was done in ancient times. The firstborn received the inheritance, but that raises a, a point here. This guy Isaac is not the firstborn. Ishmael was, but he also was sent away earlier. And so why Isaac? Why does Isaac receive everything? Was he the favorite? Well, actually, if it was a matter of favoritism and what Abraham wanted to do, Abraham would have made Ishmael the heir. Remember, he tried to at a certain point. He wanted Ishmael to be the heir, and God said no. So Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac here because God told him to. God told him that Isaac was going to be his heir. So this is not really about this parent showing favoritism to one child over the others. It's Abraham obeying. He's obeying God. Furthermore, in God's eyes, Isaac really was the firstborn. He would have been the firstborn if Abraham and Sarah had done what they were supposed to do and not taken matters into their own hands with Hagar. Well, then in verses 7 to 11, we see the death of Abraham. We read, he breathed his last and he died. In a good old age, an old man and full of years. This is a great, beautiful little uh, word of closing to Abraham's life. He died, but not before seeing many good years, many years of seeing God's faithfulness. It's really what he got to experience. He got to see the beginning of God's promises being fulfilled in Isaac. God allowed him to see Isaac's household Uh, being established with his new bride. And these verses uh, convey that Abraham died uh, a, a happy man. He was content. He was at peace. His life had been rich. It had been full. And uh, he felt like it was complete. John Calvin comments on how so many people view life wrongly. This is an interesting uh, comment by Calvin. Listen to this. He says, how many people in our own day are in bondage to the desire for life? Nearly, Nearly the whole world 
languishes on the one hand with a weariness of this present life, and on the other hand, with a desire for it to continue. But the contentment with life, which will cause us to be ready to leave life, is a gift from God. The contentment with life that will cause us to also be ready to leave this life is a favor from God. It's what we see with Abraham here. It's a very great blessing from God to be able to enjoy this life and the blessings we receive, but then also to be ready to leave this life when God calls you to himself. That's a great blessing. And only God can give you that kind of contentment in life and in death. So many people are miserable in this life, like Calvin said, and yet also terrified of death. Isn't that sad? But this is one of the greatest blessings that we have as people who have a relationship with God through Christ. His grace changes us. So we begin to enjoy life in a new way. We begin to experience real life. We begin to have abundant life, a real enjoyment of the Lord in this life, like we were meant to have. We begin to love the Lord, and we begin to love his people. We begin to uh, have a life of gratitude, a thankful life. That's a happy life. And then his grace transforms our view of death. We start to even look forward to death. Not like a crazy death wish or something like that, but a longing for perfection, a longing for glory, a longing to be set free from this veil of tears and from the sin that clings to us, to be set free from the curse. Death is a blessing for us now as believers. It's the door into eternal joy in God's presence. The Lord gives us this blessing in Christ. So the point of this, this little statement about Abraham's death is not to say that he was blessed because he lived so long. He did live a long time. But the point is he experienced abundant life, a life of faith, a life of walking with God, fellowship with God, under God's blessing. That's what made his life rich, full. That's what made him content. May the Lord make our lives full and abundant like Abraham's was, regardless of however many years he gives us. We said this morning, I don't think it's the quantity of years, but the quality, walking with God is what makes it the good life. And notice what verse 8 says of Abraham's death. It doesn't say he was put in a tomb. He was, he was buried next to Sarah, but it's significant the way it's put here. He was gathered to his people. This is uh, not just a way of saying he died. This is a way of saying he still lived. There's life after death. Death is not the end. Abraham didn't cease to exist. He wasn't annihilated. He joined the company of the redeemed. Matthew Henry comments on this in the way that he only could. He says, those that are our people while we live, they will be our people 
to whom death will gather us. Those that are our people while we live, they are the people to whom death will gather us. It's something to really think about. We will be gathered to our people one day. Everyone will. The only question is, which people will we be gathered to? Will you be gathered to the people of this world or to the children of God who lived by faith in the Savior and were given eternal life? Who have you found to be your people in this life? Who have you found fellowship with in this life? That's who you will be gathered to when you die. The unbeliever faces eternity with the damned in hell forever. But what a happy future there is for all who trust in the Lord Jesus. We will be gathered to God's people and best of all to God himself. Lastly, the account of Abraham's death here closes with an interesting little reunion. Funerals are often like that, aren't they? We see people we haven't seen forever. And we think, man, why did it have to take a funeral to get us to see each other again? Isaac and Ishmael come together again to bury their father. They both loved Abraham and they grieved for him. We're told Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave at Machpelah near Mamre, in the field of Ephron. There Abraham was buried with his wife, Sarah. And his bones would remain there in that tomb with Sarah's, and they would be present there in the promised land, and they would remain there, and they would remain a testimony to, again, God's faithfulness. God's promise was that Abraham's descendants would one day inherit that land. It would be theirs. And when they finally did, that tomb was there, the body Abraham and Sarah. Well, the funeral was over, and uh, these half-brothers went their separate ways again very quickly. It seemed like they were too close. They went on their way, and we're told in verse 11, after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahai Roy. So God's blessing continues. It lives on. It carries on with the child of the promise. And that becomes an ongoing theme as the, the coming chapters of Genesis unfold. God continues to bless this covenant line. And then Isaac, uh, we're told, lives at this place, Bir Lahai Roy. It's a, a special place. That was the place, you may remember, where Hagar and Ishmael uh, cried out to the Lord, and the Lord rescued them, and he took care of them. It's also the very place where Isaac and Rebekah first met. That's where they were when they came together, and that's where they chose to make their home, at least for the time being. So as we come to the end of Abraham's life here, we're supposed to be impressed with the faithfulness of God. God has kept his promise. He has shown himself faithful. He blessed Abraham, blessed him richly in life and in death. Abraham was a friend of God, and God showed himself to be a wonderful friend 
to Abraham. Let's just close tonight with some comments on the believer's death from Robert Candlish, a Scottish writer. He writes, Is he full? Is the pilgrim satisfied? Is he ready to depart? Not because he has seen 70 to 80 revolutions of the sun in his lifetime, or 175 like Abraham, nor is it because he can say, I have tasted of all the various sources of pleasure on the earth. No, but he is full because he has eaten the bread of heaven and he has drawn water out of the wells of salvation because he's been filled with the fullness of God because he has become a partaker of the unsearchable riches of Christ. The believer has lived long and full life on earth. His days have been many in the land, not in proportion to the number of his birthdays that he's celebrated or the various experiences he's had in infancy and childhood and manhood and old age. No, it is by the tokens of divine love that he has received the gracious dealings of God with his soul and the wonders of grace and mercy that he has witnessed in the church of the redeemed that the believer has reckoned himself to have lived long on the earth may the lord give us that kind of long full satisfying life on earth abundant life in Christ, friendship with our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are, we are very humbled by the thought that you care for us and you take us into your fellowship and friendship. But that is the truth of what you do with all those you save through your Son. It is, it is too wonderful. We are unworthy of this. We don't deserve such great spiritual blessing. We pray that you'd strengthen our faith and that you will enable us to live and walk in this relationship with you that you have given us. And change our hearts, we pray, if this is not our greatest desire and our priority in life. Lord, we pray that this church would be made up of people who live and walk every day as beloved friends of God. And may that be our greatest desire, to walk with you closer and closer every day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.